Hey guys, welcome back to the Truth and Dare podcast. This is Luke Simpson, and uh, I'm joined by my friend Ryan Carson again. And uh, this week we have Caleb Click in the room. Uh, also, Ryan Carey's here again. Uh, so this week we're four dudes and no girls. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Um, but again, we uh, we are some people in the camp ministry in the metro Atlanta area, and we believe that we have um, an opportunity to help young leaders grow in their faith um, and live out that faith in their daily lives. Um, again, like I said, we're joined by our friend Caleb Click. And for those of you that don't know Caleb, he's a teaching pastor at um, our church, our church, and actually came through Camp All, All American and um, is kind of a legend. Um, but I'm gonna make him. I'm gonna make him answer this one question so that you guys can get to know him really, really well. Caleb, are you ready? I'm a little afraid. I don't All know right. what I'm legendary for. <laughs> you're you're just legendary. <laughs> um, the people have been dying to know what's your middle name. Okay, so my middle name is Martin, Martin. which is my dad's first name. So um, supposedly, so this is the story. Uh, my dad, growing up, always told me that my name, Caleb, he told me meant bold okay. in Hebrew. That's what he thought. He was wrong. <laughs> He's wrong. <laughs> oh, no. uh, Martin meant warrior, and so my name was Bold Warrior. Yeah. Um, I thought that sounded really cool, and then I went to seminary and found out that Caleb actually means dog. Oh, And no. so uh, not quite as cool. <laughs> um, so Dog Warrior yeah. is my <laughs> name. Uh, my dad, so we failed with that that naming, but uh, super That's fun. so interesting because you, you – uh, also work with a Caleb Martin at the church. We do. We we get emails that are supposed to be for the other person all the time. That's hilarious. I never knew that. I've had people come up to me after service and be like, hey, uh, about that thing we've been emailing about. And they'll just start unloading all this stuff. And I'm like, wrong, Caleb, wrong, Caleb. Don't tell me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we have not had this conversation. Wow. I never, I'm learning stuff about Caleb. That's fascinating. <laughs> okay. Also, I don't know if you guys have ever realized this, Ryan Carson and Caleb, but you guys are basically twins. What? Um, you both have kind of short we hair. We do have a similar build. Yeah. I'll give you that. You both love Iron Tribe. <laughs> <laughs> this and, is working really but, great on radio. And, and, you're, and you're both girl girl dads. Yes. Uh, that's true. That's true. I mean, have you guys ever thought about that? Uh, that we're girl dads? No, I, like that you're twins. I haven't twins. made that connection. No. no. You guys both love the Bible. It's you're true. both smart. You both love Iron <laughs> wow. Tribe. Thank you. There we go. I mean, you've got you've never made this connection before. I, not until now, man. By the way, in case it wasn't clear to those of you, uh, I do not love Iron Tribe. <laughs> Caleb Click, however, is a beast. <laughs> well, I just thought I'd I'd pull that out, and I, I have a question, kind of based on that. As girl dads, how do you think you'd be different if you were boy dads? Swell. So I've never been a boy dad. So that's a very difficult question yeah. to ask. <clears throat> I do know that my plans for children before were to field a wrestling team, and now that's dead. Okay. <laughs> uh, so um, I do a lot more playing with dolls yeah. and a lot more princess and frozen sing-alongs than I ever anticipated, and they're wonderful and is probably better than going to wrestling gymnasiums mm. and, and smelling that again. So Caleb would be... In the wrestling world, yeah, that that was as someone who didn't break five foot till their freshman year. Um, that was the world that took me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I love it, Ryan. How would you be different? Yeah, I definitely grew up around sports all the time, and my whole family, like my extended family, it was a huge part of our childhood. 
And uh, for my girls, it's, you know, not that girls can't do sports, but just for my girls in particular, um, they, they just didn't grow up particularly interested in sports. Mm-hmm. And uh, to some extent, I think that's been really good for me uh, because, you know, I think there's a the strong likelihood if I was a dad to some boys, I might be sort of uh, trying to relive my childhood through them. And uh, I hear that can be, you know, detrimental to your <laughs> psyche and your development. And so, man, having girls is just such a blessing. I yeah. mean, they just, I, there may be no greater love than a daughter for her dad, at least in their younger years. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't experienced them yet in the teenage years. Everyone yeah. keeps warning me. but Well, you've got a teenager now. Oh, my gosh, a 13-year-old just yeah. recently. That's right. Wow. It's well, incredible. it makes you realize how... Uh, ungentle you actually are that you have girls <laughs> and you start second guessing all the things you've done before you're like that i don't know if that's the way i should have been behaving towards people <laughs> like, Man, i'm learning so much um all right so that i hope you guys feel like you know caleb i definitely feel like i know caleb and ryan more now um we're gonna do this so the series we're in uh, and close to finishing now is called we dare you to actually read your bible um, and we believe that you should do that. Um, today we're talking about the New Testament. I know some of you are like, finally, it's finally the New Testament, not the Old Testament anymore. Um, sorry, not sorry. Yeah. Side note though, we're going to be talking about the Old Testament still. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we'll get there though. Uh, particularly today we are talking about the gospels and the parables that Jesus teaches in those gospels. Um, as far as the dare from last week, I hope Lamentations didn't make you guys too sad, um, but uh, I hope that it did pluck at your heartstrings a little bit um, and make you feel something. So We can always talk about the woes of Jesus. The woes? Oh, yeah. He loves the woes. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Woe to you. We could. All right. We're going to hop in. Uh, the first segment we're talking about today is on the Gospels. Yeah, so we, first of all, we, we call them the Gospels, even though they're really telling one story. They're telling the Gospel, which is the good news of, surprise, surprise, who God is mm. and what he has done and is doing now through the person of Jesus. To make things right. Right, yeah. So, so the Gospel uh, continues to be uh, all about God and who he is and what he's doing. And we call them the Gospels uh, just because of, you know, in early... Um, in the early church and the early Christian faith, they uh, they were labeled as the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark. And yeah, so, um, yeah. But in reality, they're not telling four different gospels. They're telling really one story in four um, purposefully different ways. And so it can be tricky sometimes when we're trying to make a chronology between them uh, because um, you know the order of events. Um, we, we find as we're reading the Gospels, um, it may be more important to the author John to put these events in a different order because he's communicating a slightly different sort of nuanced, um, he's, he's got a different purpose in his writing, right? Yeah. So John is trying to show specifically that Jesus is the God um, that we've been introduced to throughout the entire Old Testament. Uh, that's really a huge point of emphasis. And a lot of his 
stories that he's sharing, he's, he's specifically picking them to point to this particular element. And then in the Gospel of Matthew, um, he, he's doing a similar thing, but he's more specifically trying to draw on how Jesus is this new and better Moses. And there's a lot of tie-ins through the Gospel of Matthew, even structurally, the way he puts his gospel together, uh, that, that remind us of the first five books of the Old Testament and even Exodus itself. And so, yeah, one thing that, that I think is important to recognize as you're reading the gospels, these aren't necessarily trying to tell you every detail about Jesus's life, but these authors are specifically picking things to make the points that they want to make. They're telling you a biography about this dude, but they're doing it in a persuasive way. They want to lead you to come to a conclusion about who this Jesus is and what he has done and is doing to make things right in the world. Yeah. And we continue to see, um, it's, it's a continuation from the old Testament in a lot of ways. Um, these literary forms, writing tools were there like in some ways their evangelism tools, um, and the ways that they were trying to share the good news. Yeah, and I think one of the things to think about this is like the ver- the fact that the Bible, that in the canon of Scripture, the church has always recognized the need for four of these. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it tells you something about the person whose story they're recounting. It's like this is not somebody that can be summed up in a single telling of this. Mm-hmm. If you're going to get a fully orbed, embodied picture of Jesus and who he is and what he's done, it, is, you have to, it has to be seen from a multitude of perspectives. And so in the Bible, you have embedded this need for God's people to recount the work of Jesus. And you notice that like there's differences in the way they tell the story, but the central storyline is exactly the same. There's no question that Jesus is pronouncing himself as the Messiah, the son of God who has entered in to announce the coming of the kingdom of God, who dies for the sins of his people and is raised to new life. That's that's the gospel storyline. It's the same. Um and I think it, with each one, it, it, it fleshes out for us uh, this person who's vibrant. I think of you know, the end of John where he talks about like there's, there's not a, if we were to tell all the stories, there wouldn't be enough books to contain it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of revealed in the fact that there's four gospels. They're, they're acknowledging that even there. Yeah. And I think, so as we're entering into this, we're talking about what's, what's the right way to approach the gospels. Um, it's not just to see Jesus as a good example or um, I mean, even in some ways just as God's son. Um, But it's important to see Jesus as the fulfillment of everything God had been promising and doing prior to this to make things right. He's, he's the culmination, the apex, the fulfillment of all of those things. Right. Yeah. It matters that he is often referred to in the Gospels as the son of uh, David, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and just, you know, not directly, but in that genealogy, that matters. Uh, Caleb even used the word Messiah, mm-hmm. which is an Old Testament word. And um, just, you know, some quick Bible trivia. Uh, whenever we see Christ in the New Testament, that really is the, the, the English version of the Greek word, um, that is directly associated with the Old Testament word Messiah, and which res- literally means anointed one, chosen one, the one who is God's both God's representative to the people and the representative of the people to God. He's yeah. this prophet and priest. And when he is called the Christ, 
um, that is, we, we only fully understand, that's not Jesus's last name. Mm-hmm. It, that only has meaning because of what the Old Testament story has been telling us um, all along the way. Yeah. And, and Clay, Caleb said a little earlier, if we want to have this full view mm-hmm. of who Jesus is, um, it's good that we've got these four gospels. Well, mm-hmm. if we want to have this even fuller and richer view, then we've got to understand that the other three quarters of our Bible, the first 75% of our Bible, are all setting us up for what Jesus is actually coming to accomplish. They're not just like the story that led to the need mm-hmm. for a good man to come and die for people. No, every every one of those stories is telling us about who this Jesus is going to be, mm-hmm. and then he comes and he fulfills it all. Well, and there's stuff in there, like if you— if you are remembering that these are that all these men who are writing down these stories of Jesus are seeing Jesus as the fulfillment of those prophecies, you recognize that they have those themes are intentionally touched on. So, like in Matthew, Jesus is very clearly the personification of all Israel was supposed to be and never was. Uh, just like Israel, he is, goes into Egypt and has to be brought back out. He comes out of the depths of Sheol and into life in that return. Uh, just like Israel, he has to cross the Jordan and pass through the waters. And once he passes through the waters, he's now in the wilderness where he's tempted, where Israel fails. Mm. Jesus doesn't. Um, and you won't, if, if you don't know that Old Testament background, you're not going to understand what Jesus is doing and why those are, uh, one, incredibly important steps that inform uh, what's happening. But also Jesus is taking intentional steps. Like he's intentionally stepping into the place of Israel and of Adam Um and uh, if you don't have the Old Testament, you miss that. Golly. Yeah. 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 That's so good. And you mentioned um, Jesus' tempting in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. You know, typically, as we're reading the Gospels, we're, we're, we're typically looking for lessons for ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And that's a great example. I've heard it preached and taught so many times. Um, when Jesus was tempted, he quoted Scripture. Mm-hmm. When you are tempted, quote Scripture. And you'll succeed against the devil. And uh, to some extent, again, I, I think that that is an appropriate application. It's actually missing the point of um, why this story is included in these gospels. And, and it's there specifically to show us um, that, uh, as you said, Caleb, where the Israelites failed, Jesus is coming and he's replaying their story, mm-hmm. but he's getting it right. Well, and he's replying with the very scriptures they were given in that moment. He's He is taking the truth they had and failed to appropriate and using it. And it's, a, it's, it's an explicit... Uh, replay, but this time with Jesus reversing what happened right. before. Yeah. So what he's trying to do with these gospels is, is, is again, primarily teach us about who Jesus is and mm-hmm. what he's doing. Those things are going to have implications for our lives. But if we miss that and we go directly to what's yeah. the lesson for me today, we're actually missing what the authors and, and the author, capital A of scripture, yeah. is wanting us to get from these passages. So to summarize this point we're making, um, understanding that we need an ever-growing understanding of the Old Testament in order to in order to have a right understanding of Jesus in the Gospels um, that we constantly need to be seeking out the Old Testament scriptures um, so that when we are reading the Gospels we can see oh wow this is he's alluding to this because the other point you guys are making is the Gospels are more than just Jesus fulfilling a prophecy um, he's fulfilling the patterns the pattern that humans failed, um, to complete over and over and over again. And it's not just that we get the chance, we get like chance after chance to get it right in the Old Testament. Like that's not what 
we're learning, the Old Testament is showing us that time after time that we don't have what it takes to bring about our own salvation. And here comes Jesus in the Gospels over and over again being shown as the the uh, perfecter of that pattern or the the resolution to that pattern, the, the final, like the, the being that the human that will bring us into and allow us to enter into the promises that God had for, for all of mankind. Well, and I, I think one thing, two things, actually. One is if the Old Testament is the palette from which the New Testament writers are drawing. Mm-hmm. And so if you're thinking of it as like a painter, like they're drawing from a certain collection of colors, well, these are this is their, these are the tools, this is the, the the world, the language they're drawing from. And so there are echoes of that language. Sometimes it's not explicit. Like in the Matthew things I just mentioned, it explicitly says like this was fulfilled. And it like hmm. points to text. But there's also things like in, you know, Mark 6, Jesus walks on the water and it says he intended to pass by them, which seems really weird. Like, why would Jesus want to walk on the water in the middle of a storm and pass by the disciples? Well, that makes sense if you remember that the palette they're drawing from is the Old Testament. That yeah. language, that language is flashes back to two specific instances, both where prophets of God ask God to show them his glory and God puts them in the cleft of a rock and passes by. <laughs> yeah. uh, what's Jesus doing? He's revealing himself as the one whose glory they had desired to see. He is Yahweh in the flesh, walking on the water. He is the Lord of creation. Um, so that's a, an echo. The, the second piece that I think is really key is as we're saying all this, I think it can get really, we can be prone to think, well, crud, like I just can't understand the Bible because I don't know enough of the Old Testament. Mm. And I think we got to remember uh, all that you need for life and salvation. If you just had the gospel of Mark, you've got enough. Mm. If you just have the gospel of Matthew, you have enough. We're not saying that the, the, the heart of the gospel is not available. What we're saying is there are depths that we'll miss. And maybe some things we might misinterpret, the, the heart of mm. it is available to us. It is clear. Um, we're, what we're trying to do is shade it out so that you catch it in all of its its complexity and beauty. Because, and I love that example, yeah. and honestly, the image of it being a palette that they're drawing from, it, it's yeah. it's influencing everything they're yeah. doing. Um, but that example where Jesus is walking by them, if you if you don't have the context of the Old Testament, yeah. um, you think you're, Jesus you're gonna, is being weird? You're gonna well, you're <laughs> gonna miss you're gonna yeah. miss the the significance, the, the godly significance of Jesus in that moment. Um, but you're still going to see Jesus walking on water and him engaging with his disciples. Um, so like we've said before, you can be in the shallow end of scripture reading. Mm -hmm. It's just important to know that there's a deeper end where we've, we've talked about, there's just there's so much more to, to, to yeah. learn and to be wrapped up in, in our faith. Um, y'all have any closing thoughts on the Gospels? Otherwise, I'm going to move us on. You know, I, I would just af- affirm that and go that you could read that passage and not know that and maybe be confused by that point, but still go, well, he's revealing himself as God. Because yeah. mm-hmm. what's he doing? He's walking on the water and he's stopping a storm with a totally. word like that. That is divine authority. That's not mm-hmm. some human, you know, conjuring up some Harry Potter spell that just stops everything like that. That's the act of the God who created the heavens and the earth and says, I'm still Lord of all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, what it does is, as you said, it adds depth. It, it, it gives you a clear sense that what Jesus is doing, this is intentional. And the disciples, I think they recognize it because mm-hmm. they're kind of terrified. Um, 
And so, I, again, just want to affirm, you can understand this without knowing that, but it adds to it. Yeah, and I love that word you keep using, intentional. Like Jesus was intentionally doing a lot of these things because he knew the Old Testament and was fulfilling all of the prophecies, and he's intentionally doing things that are alluding to his godness, his godhood. So cool. It gets me, like, fired up. Um, all right, let's transition. You know, we're going to talk about the parables it, that Jesus uses um, in these Gospels. Okay, so let's transition uh, and talk about the parables in the Gospels that Jesus uses to teach. Um, But we're still talking about the Gospels. We're just kind of like deep diving into this one really, one of the main ways um, that we hear from Jesus in the Gospels. Um, Ryan, you wanted a scripture reference here. We're going to dive in we're actually going to read the Bible. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna go right into it. I don't know if it. I'm comfortable. With a little this. bit of Bible. <laughs> if you guys want to go ahead and turn to Matthew 13, that's where we're going. And um, so yeah, we've talked about biblical narrative. You know, um, is telling us about um, events and 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 even shaping the the telling of those events in order to make sure that we understand the meaning. And so that's conveyed throughout the Old Testament. We find a good bit of I think what we would call biblical narrative in the Gospels. Here's what Jesus did, where he went, right. But um, especially in um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not so much in John, but in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's accounts, um, they reference for us um, one of Jesus's primary kind of evangelistic tools. I think you could call it that. Um, as he was communicating to the world about who he was and what he was doing, he often did that through these little stories that he would tell. Um, as far as we can tell, they, they seem to be mostly, um, you know, not specifically rooted in history. He's not telling you, um, hey, Martha did this and Sally said this so much as he's like, hey, there was a farmer and there was a shepherd, right? And um, typically, I think when we hear a short story, um, think of like a sermon illustration. We typically hear that as a device that the preacher is using to help us understand something better right? They'll make a statement, hey, the Bible says this, and then they'll tell us a story to be to help us go, oh, I get it now at a deeper level. And um, Jesus is actually, if we're not careful, we'll think that that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to um, make things clearer <laughs> with his parables. And um, I, I think Jesus tells us something different. So in, here in Matthew 13, um, he tells a parable, and this is one you might be familiar with. Um, it says, as he was sitting beside the lake, he got into a boat. His people were standing on the shore and uh, he told them this parable about a farmer who went out to plant some seeds and he scattered them and some fell on a footpath and some birds ate them. Some fell on shallow soil um, and uh, they sprouted up quickly, but um, then they were you know, snuffed out. And then some uh, wilted under the hot sun because they didn't have deep roots. And, they, and then he says, some fell among the thorns and uh, those thorns grew up and choked the plants in their, their young age. And then some of the seed fell on fertile soil and it produced a very, very fruitful crop. Mm-hmm. Um, just kept growing and growing and it was very, very healthy. And um, it, it says it produced, you know, 30 and 60 times <laughs> what uh, they had perhaps even thought it might produce. And then Jesus, is, Jesus sums up what he's just told in this way, starting in verse 9. He says, now... Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So his disciples come over and they're like, 
Jesus, um, why do you talk with parables? Uh, why do you use parables when you're talking with people? And he says, here's why I do this. He says, you are permitted to understand these secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. He says, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from him. Verse 13, this is why I use parables. I love when the Bible just makes it very, very clear to us. Uh, We've got a question and here it is. And he says, this is why I use parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. And he says, this fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah, where, where God, in calling Isaiah to a prophetic ministry, God promises Isaiah, uh, hey, Isaiah, I'm going to give you my words for the people. They're not going to listen. <laughs> They're not going to adjust, um, but I need you to be faithful. And so Jesus says, I'm telling parables not necessarily to make thing to make hard things a little easier for people mm-hmm. and not necessarily to make complex things a little more simple but i'm tearing i'm telling these parables in a way to kind of set one group of people against another there are those who are going to listen and receive and be interested in what it is i'm saying and then there are others who are going to hear these same parables and they're going to cause uh, the exact opposite effect they're going to begin to distance themselves even more and Jesus says that's that's why he's using these parables. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting as you look through them is the parables in some ways are almost like a diagnostic test that reveal uh, something about the kingdom. And if you think about like, I don't know if y'all have ever tried to, uh, I remember doing this on like a field trip when you're a kid and they take you to those places where you mine for gold and you're trying to figure out like, is it real gold or not? So you put vinegar on it. And if it's the color chips off, it's not real gold. But if it stays on there, it's the real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Parables do that. They're they're diagnosing or exposing realities about us. And so if with the parables, and it doesn't even necessarily mean that they're not able to intellectually comprehend them. The Pharisees at different points intellectually comprehend what Jesus is saying. Like in Matthew 21, it says they perceive that this parable is about them. Uh, They just didn't like what it said. And so it makes them angry. Well, that exposes something. That means Mm -hmm. you're opposed to the kingdom of God that the parables proclaim. Uh, If you read those and you're just disinterested, that exposes something about you. Mm -hmm. Uh, What it does do, though, is if if the Holy Spirit's at work in your heart, it it, it, it provokes curiosity. So you think of the disciples, what the disciples do. They don't necessarily understand right off the bat. But what they do is they go to Jesus and say, we want to. Hmm. And you see that Jesus, he then sits down and begins to explain what these mean. And for those who have ears to hear, for those who want to learn at the feet of Jesus, these things, they do clarify. But you have to have the desire to understand that comes through the Holy Spirit and happens at the feet of Jesus. It's it's in, this is interesting for me. Like I didn't, I definitely grew up thinking parables were like sermon illustrations where yeah. it was, it was trying, Jesus was trying to help me understand how he thought or how the kingdom of God was. Um, in these conversations, I've been learning a lot about how it's more like Jesus, you guys have said it in some other ways, but he's like pulling back the curtain yeah. um, to so that we can see into the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Um, he's not trying to explain everything about it. He's like, here it is. This is how it is. And he's the, the, the words we've been using around this topic is he's revealing mm-hmm. 
truths to those who have ears to hear, and he's concealing those truths to the ones that don't have ears to hear. Yeah. I think, a, you know, a classic example on this would be like, you think about the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Jesus takes a, a, a situation, an environment that they're all familiar with. Everybody knows the Jericho Road. They know it's dangerous. They know it's one that everyone travels. Everyone knows what a Pharisee is and a Levite is and a Samaritan is. But Jesus takes a very commonplace thing and he turns it into this profoundly uncomfortable story because he inverts the positions that everyone expects uh, each of those people, the roles are supposed to fulfill. So the Levite and the Pharisee, they're not actually, they're not fulfilling the law. They're not caring for their neighbor. They're concerned about themselves. The Samaritan, the most despised of all people, the Samaritan's doing that. And so in the parables, like there's a, a sense of which Jesus takes a world with which we're familiar, but then he he inserts something that kind of causes a disequilibrium in us as we listen to it. Like mm-hmm. you, you can't hear it and not realize he's taking your world and tilted it on its axis, which again, that's provoking. That's yeah. why the the Pharisees, when they hear these things, they're not exactly happy about it because it, it's it's a world that they're comfortable with. And that means that, that it gives them room to boast and to think that they have some ground on which to stand. And what Jesus is doing is basically flipping on its head. And again, what's the announcement of the kingdom? Uh, there is someone who can save and it ain't you. Mm. <laughs> it's this guy, yeah. it's Jesus. And he takes your world and the way we inhabit it where we are constantly worried about what we can get for ourselves. And it suddenly says, no, you got everything in Christ. Now you give it away. Um, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a fun, fun thing. One of the other things that I've loved talking about is what this invokes for the people that can hear, um, for those insiders, if you will, that's the word we've been using. There might be a better one. Um, but for those that have ears to hear these parables invoke things like wonder, worship, Humility, And I remember when we were discussing the topic of this episode, I brought up um, the parable where Jesus says uh, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And in having these conversations, I was like, oh, well, I have felt like that makes me feel humble. Mm. Because what I realize when I read that parable is Jesus is telling us it's impossible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> To enter the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> That's right. Impossible. It's not like, oh, it's really hard. Yeah. No, no, no. It's like, it, it doesn't, it's just not how it is. That's impossible. Um, that's not the reality that we live in, is that we can enter without him. Um, yeah. What we, the the thing that that invokes in me, which is cool for me, because it's like, man, I have ears to hear, which is super encouraging. Mm. And like, when I say that, like, I get chill bumps because it means that and we'll get in like assurance of salvation and stuff. And I think next week, um, no, it's at the end of this podcast. Um, we're going to solve that. No, but I, but I put it, we're going to let you know whether or not you're saved at the end. We've of got that. a list Stay of names. Tunes. <laughs> Should really pay attention. We're going to talk about one of my favorite passages of first John two, but anyway, um, but then I'm humbled. I, it's, it humbles me to think about like, I, I can't enter the kingdom of heaven, but Jesus has made a way so that a camel can pass through the eye of a needle. And and that to me is like baffling. Like it, it, it makes my mind go a thousand miles an hour thinking about all the ways that that shouldn't be possible, isn't possible, but then is possible. And Jesus loves me. And, and that for me, just it, it's so revealing of like the kingdom of he- heaven is upside down to us and jarring to us. And I just, I, I, it gets me really excited. I love thinking about that. 
So the two words that we're trying, like, like I've said, revealing and concealing. This is what, and again, if you want to look at another instance or another account of this same story, Mark 4 has it. Um, so obviously the people writing the Gospels thought this was important enough, mm-hmm. important moment enough to, sh- to put in multiple accounts. Yeah, and Jesus isn't doing an either or yeah. with his parables. So that's what He's we're trying to communicate. He's both doing both and. at the same time. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think there's a distinction we need to draw too, just to be, just be really clear in this, is that sometimes we use this kind of language of like that which is revealed and that which is concealed. We can get in our heads kind of this Gnostic idea Hmm. which is that there's like knowledge that's only for a specific group of people. And that is the opposite of what's happening here. This is knowledge that is made available to all. Hmm. Your response to it is what makes you in or out. Hmm. Um, your, whether or not it's uh, concealed. It, it's, not a, it's not this thing that you have to hoard and protect and go through these initiatory rites. Rather, it's that you, you have to be born again. You literally have to, God has to take someone dead and make them alive, which again, that's the bows back to the camel through the eye of the needle. There's only one person who can do that for you. Yeah, only uh, one. Only one, yeah. Yeah, and that that's the image that Jesus is drawing on in that parable that we spoke of from Matthew 13. Um, his word is the seed. And so it's the same word yes. as he's delivering it. Um, but the effect that it has is dependent on the nature of the soil that it lands on. And so, and, and even that, Jesus isn't just making an ag- agricultural reference because the people of his day, um, you know, were agriculturally minded, he's specifically referencing Isaiah five and six, mm. where um, <laughs> where the Lord reveals to Isaiah that his word is going to go forth like a seed producing much fruit. And so again, um, Jesus is not just like looking around. He's like, oh, there's some sheep. I'm going to talk about sheep and shepherd. No, he's with every one of his images that he's using and stories that he's telling. He is he is just beating the drum. Um, if you know your Old Testament scriptures, especially Isaiah, Ezekiel, the Psalms, he's beating the drum of, I am God come to earth to rescue my people. Yeah. Mm. And even later in, you kind of like summarized it in Matthew 13, but he says specifically um, in verse 15, for the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear. Mm. And, and to me, that there's a whole story about the Pharaoh who whose heart go. was hardened, right. um, and there's like this whole expounding in the Old Testament of this uh, passage from Isaiah, where it's it's revealing more. So Jesus is he's revealing, and then he's like, if you go look at the Old Testament, there's even more that is revealed if, about how things are, like this reality that we exist in, um, that we inhabit. Like Caleb said, that is revealing God's kingdom to us. Um. So anyway, I have some closing remarks. Are you guys good? Let's go. All right. So how do we know if we have ears to hear? Uh, that's I was kind of alluding to this little caveat earlier, um, but this, this this is what I think: um, the the word will begin to do a work on and in your heart. Um, you will no longer have that hardened, um, not born again heart. Like you become a new creation. Um, your desires start to change the things you want, your motives, the reason you do the things you do start to change. Um, And like I've said before, and will continue to say probably forever, obedience becomes the outward representation of of the inward condition. Um, So I just, I want to read 1 John 2, uh, just because it's just amazing. Um, Verses 3 through 6. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in truth. 
but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. And those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Going back to one of the past episodes, I can't, they're all blending together for me now, but talking about obedience is the opportunity to love. And it's, it's, it, it is truly that. And John tells us that here. I just want to just add one thing as we think through this, because I'm thinking about somebody that maybe is hearing this and going like, I read these things and I don't understand. Does that mean that I'm outside of, of, of I'm not one of those, right? Yeah. And I, I think one thing I would say to you is I want you to look to the Bible and find me a single instance where someone comes to Jesus and asks for his help when he doesn't give it. Uh, there's not one. He never turns anybody away unless that person goes away on their own. The rich young ruler doesn't leave because Jesus doesn't invite him. He leaves because he wants to. He doesn't He doesn't want to be where Jesus is. If you're coming to Jesus and going, Lord, I, I want to understand, he's going to answer that. Um, and so I would just encourage you, don't allow the evil one to use some of the stuff we're talking about here to make you think that uh, this means you're on the outside and there's no way in. Um, that That's not the heart of Jesus. Wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. Good word, good word. Caleb, thanks for being here this week. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's jump into the dare. Okay, so the dare for this week. Uh, we want you to read all of Mark with one or two others while trying to really listen. Jesus talks about that um, in the Matthew account later. He says, for those that really listen... Um, we want you to really try to listen to the parables and the teachings of Jesus and Mark. Um, all right, that's it. Thanks for hanging out with us at Truth and Dare this week. We'll talk to you later.